Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. I'm going to turn it over to you. you got a good introduction here, so I'm just going to uh, let you go on this. Tommy uh, is going to lead us in this study of this part of the Lord's Prayer. So uh, you want us to go to Matthew chapter 6? We'll start yeah, out there. Yeah, well, let's, let's still go to Matthew 6 like we've been doing and, and, and read together or recite together. Uh, we've, been, we've been doing that, and then we'll look at the phrase tonight. All right, in verse 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, so we are now down to the the last phrase there, the is verse thirteen or part of part of verse thirteen. Pastor Jason's gonna finish up the rest of verse thirteen. The, the long amen the long next amen. week. Yeah, next week. So just just the first part there about lead us not to temptation and deliver us from evil are the two things you're gonna look at tonight. And uh, just thinking about you know, how to come into this study and how to, how to enter into this particular uh, passage here, this particular phrase tonight. Um, just, I think one thing that's kind of been very evident to me or one thing that hopefully has come out in the last several studies is the idea of, of prayer aligning our heart and our will to, to God's heart and to God's will, you know, and, and aligning those things uh, in that way. And, and ultimately what that means is that prayer should be helping us to grow in our relationship with Christ as we are praying and as we're in prayer, it's growing us. Um, one person I was reading this week uh, called it a maturing humility. And I, I want to make sure I say that because it wasn't, it wasn't something I came up with, those two words together, but, but a maturing humility. Um, and I think that's really what, it's, what it is. And it's kind of become, I think, more real in the last few petitions because the last three petitions are kind of focused on our dependence on God and on us being finite. Um, you know, we're not, we're not God. We're not infinite right now. We're, we are, we're all of us in here. If, if the Lord doesn't come again, we're, we're going to die at some point in time in our life. And so um, we don't, we're not like God in that way. So really, you know, the proper humility has actually been in the prayer the whole time, this maturing humility, this proper understanding. And it starts with first recognizing who God is. And so, you know, we look at those three uh, first petitions of hallowed be thy name and thy kingdom come and thy will be done. It's all focusing on God and recognizing who God is in those first three petitions. You know, God is holy. His name is to be hallowed. And, and, and we should pray for his kingdom to come and, and we should pray for his will to be done in those ways. And those are all focused on that. But, but it leads us to that place of maturing humility, you know. I like when, how you put yeah. it here. I, you say, when I, 
right. when I pray for God's will to be done, then I also yeah, exactly. You can't you can't be doing those things. And and even with and I was thinking about this afternoon that praying for God's name to be holy, we're we're, we're not seeking you know our name to be anything great on this earth. But also in that that proper place of who it is, like like Isaiah. And I think as we've gone through the study and, and as we've looked at prayer, it's opening up a whole new understanding of, of where we are and where where God is. And, and like Isaiah in Isaiah six five, when he gets his vision, he gets it all at one time, and he says, "What woe is me, for I'm undone." And he wasn't having a pity party. Like, oh, woe is me, I feel so bad. He was just understanding his place all of a sudden in this vision of God, you know. And, and when we get to that point, uh, then we understand, okay, now here's where, here's where God is, here's where I am. I'm the one who's dependent on, my, on God for, for daily physical and spiritual needs, you know. And it, it reminds me of the great sins we talked about last week that I have been forgiven of the great debt, and then, so it gives me no right to be unforgiving to those around me. Um, and then here we have this, this, this uh, lead us not into temptation, this dependence and this focus on God. But it all begins with that proper recognition of God and, and of who I am. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of very much here in the last portion of this model prayer, this Lord's Prayer. We're, we're, we're to pray that we're not led into temptation, uh, that God will deliver us from evil. And so we look at those two phrases tonight, and I, I was reading through this again this afternoon, I realized that instead of putting the word lead, every time I wrote lead over and over again, it's like, ah. And of course, autocorrect won't catch that because lead's an actual <laughs> word, you know. So anyway, if I say lead tonight instead of lead, then you'll know why. But let's look at that first part of the, part of the phrase there. Lead us not uh, into temptation. Uh, just kind of get into the study. And go ahead and you can kind of put a mark or something there in Matthew 6. But we're going to be going back to Matthew chapter 4 for just a minute. So if you want to kind of head back a couple of chapters there. Because Jesus is teaching us here to pray this way. Lead us not temptation, deliver us from evil. Um, but it really is part of our daily lives to be in these positions. You know, temptation comes and, and trials. And there there are two different Greek words. I don't think we're going to, we're not going to really talk about mm. The really the small nuances of temptation and trials, I think, tonight, because uh, we were talking this week about it, and I don't know, I'm, I hope I'm not stepping on something that you've already written down in your, in your notes to say, but the way we respond to trials in our life can be improper, and the temptation can be there, and that can lead us to sin. So temptation, trials, there's, a, there's two different Greek words that are sometimes used, but ultimately, our trials and our temptations are brought so that, you know, as we go through it, God, God receives the glory for a, a response that we make, which is proper. Um, but um, we're taught to pray this prayer, but there's some scriptures that, that might seem to contradict it a little bit. So let's look there. Matthew 4, uh, verses 1 and 2. All right, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and nights, he was afterward and hungered. So we won't read the rest of it because we're pretty familiar with this here. And we'll come back to it in just a minute. So just kind of remember that Jesus was led of the Spirit uh, uh, up into the wilderness. Okay, then go uh, to James chapter 1, the book of James chapter 1. Because again, we're talking about lead us not into temptation, but here's some instances where... It seems like we are led. Or it seems like we are led yeah. or it seems like something is not adding up. So we'll read uh, James 1. 2 through 4, and then I'll, I'll have Pastor Jason jump down, and we'll read James 1, 13 to 14. 
Okay, James 1, verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Then verse 13 says, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Yeah, and so we're, we're looking here at this situation, okay? Jesus says, pray that you're not led into temptation. But then we see in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led by the Spirit, okay? And then we're told in James, when you have these trials and you have these things that come into your life, it's joy for you because it helps perfect you. And then we're told later in the book in, in James, later on in the same chapter, that God's not tempting us. So here we have all these verses, and we're trying to think about it, make sense of it. Is there a contradiction in the teaching, or is there something here... And the simple answer is no. All right? The simple answer is no. There's no contradiction. There's no uh, anything of that nature here in all of these verses. Okay? So Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. But who did the tempting? Satan. 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 Satan did it. The devil. Not God. God did not do the tempting. And ultimately, this is, this is a, an instance here for Jesus especially where um, the proof is that Jesus is morally fit to be the king. He did what Adam did not do and Eve, and he also did what the kings of Israel did not do, and that is he did not sin. When temptation come, he did not sin. He remained faithful to that, so he's morally fit uh, to be the king, and that's one of the reasons why we have this in the book of Matthew, this particular instance in the life of Jesus. Um, and then in James... There is a, this, is, this is where the, the, the words get a little different. The first part of James is a different word than the second part of James about temptation and trials. Uh, but again, they're there to make our faith stronger. Okay? And, and, and these two things, this is how it all works in this way. God does not tempt us to evil. God doesn't do that. He doesn't tempt us to evil. But he does bring us into the presence of trials and, and things for our benefit and for our good. Let's go to Romans 8.28 for just a minute and see that. Romans 8.28. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, uh, tempt us. He cannot tempt with evil. That, that, that there in, in James, there's no contradiction there. But he allows things to come into our life for our benefit and for our good, for our strengthening, for our faith. So let's read that. Romans 8.28. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Right. And so, that, and, that, and that, is, that is, again, I think, where we start to kind of pull in the, the maturing humility and the understanding here that um, things are there in our life, things are put in there for our life so that we grow in our faith, so that we continue to recognize our dependence on God and recognize where those things are uh, in our life and who God is and who we are and that continual Dependence. You know, we, we, um, we can't uh, extend our lives longer. We can't, you know, every, even our next breath, our next heartbeat is all dependent on God. And even these things here are for our benefit and for our good. So we may be saying now, you know, well, if it's, if it's good for us, then, then why are we told to, to pray that we're not led into these trials or into these temptations? Why are we told to pray that way? I think there's three Three reasons here why we're told to pray that. First of all, we pray it because we, we're not told to seek trials. Don't go out looking for trouble, in other words. Okay? 
uh, trouble will find you, right? Have you heard that before? Mm-hmm. Don't go looking for trouble. Trouble will find you. And, that's, and that would be. It would be very foolish of us as, as people uh, to, to step out of line and ask, God, give me some trials. Give me some temptation. It's kind of like the be... people who say, well, I prayed for patience. Yeah, you should yeah. never pray for patience, right? Because <laughs> God will give you right. something to, to right. test and build that. But, um, yeah, we, we don't want to. We shouldn't be seeking trials. So when Jesus in this pattern for prayer in the Lord's Prayer says, pray this way, lead us not into temptation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it shouldn't be something that we're trying to, to seek, whether that temptation is a trial, like the first verse in James, or whether it's an actual temptation to sin, mm-hmm. like the, the meaning in verses 13 to 14. Right, right. And that's what happened. I mean, trials, temptations, they find us. We don't, we don't need to search it out. We don't need to try to find it. So first of all, we do it because we should not seek it. Second of all, we pray this way because, it, again, it helps us recognize our weaknesses. You know, and praying it out loud helps us to do that, helps us to remember that dependence on God, um, and, and, it, and it helps us to keep our focus in the right place, too. And I was thinking about this in, in line with, with this second point here, is, you know, the first three petitions we talked about already, they are very focused on God, and God is the object of those first three. Hallowed be thy name. And thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. God is the focus, and God is the object. In the second part, though, it changes just a little bit, because God's still the focus, but but we're kind of the object, because now we're praying for tangible needs. We're talking about our daily bread, both physically and spiritually. We're talking about forgiving others and, and asking for forgiveness for our sins, and we're talking about here not being led to temptation, delivered from evil. Uh, but the focus is still on God. The object may be different, but the focus is still on God because it's causing us to look upward to him and helping us to recognize that that's what we need. He's a source for right. this prayer to be answered. We mm-hmm. can't do it ourselves in any of those second three. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's expressing our humility, our faith in him when we're praying this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, we need God to give us that strength and that, those things through him, through Jesus. Um, thirdly, we, we are told to pray this, and I think here's why, because we don't want to shame the name of God. Uh, and this, I think, works in both situations, uh, whether we're going to make the nuance between trial and temptation or we're, you just talk about it all together there. Um, but the way that we handle things that come in our lives um, can have an effect on the faith of others as well. Um, you know, sometimes we may be going through something at one point in our life and not realizing that at a later point in our life, God's going to use that trial to help encourage someone else. You know, and the way that we handle that situation in our life, we don't know down the road what God may use or how he may use that situation uh, later on. Um, and, the pe- and the people that are around us while we're going through it even uh, are seeing, seeing how we're handling it. Um, I think that sometimes it could be a way for an unsafe person to recognize the power of the gospel and to come to Christ through watching a Christian uh, handle these different situations in their life. And, or, and, and by handle, I guess really what we're doing is we're giving it to God and depending on him. But, but how a Christian goes through these situations uh, can strengthen the faith of a fellow believer, and it can also lead an, uh, an unsafe person uh, to to Christ, you know. I think on the other hand, it could do the opposite as well. If we're not you see careful. that in Philippians with mm-hmm. Paul, he's in jail, um, and he's telling the Philippian church there in chapter one that um, it's actually worked out better. Like mm-hmm. he had planned to go to Spain, mm-hmm. Gaul at that time, and like the final frontier of missions. But God's like, no, I'm going to put you in jail. <laughs> and he's probably wondering why. 
um, God, what seemed like an obstacle, but then he tells everybody, there's like tons of people getting saved because mm-hmm. I'm in jail. They're seeing the power of the gospel and that this is real. I really believe in this. And, and not only that, but other people, because Paul was stuck in there, other Christians now were sharing the gospel and people are getting saved. So mm-hmm. it did have that effect on, on the unbeliever first coming to Christ, but also, I mean, we look to Paul even today when we're going through difficult times, you know, mm-hmm. um, look, at he was, he, Philippians is the epistle of joy and he was writing that from a prison mm-hmm. um, and so yeah th- we can have a, a dramatic effect when we pray this and God answers this prayer right. by by sustaining us whether it's trial or temptation right right and and I thought about this today just now too um, sitting in a, in a different Sunday school class today and I hope you don't mind I'm not trying to embarrass anybody but I think this is something that, that uh, Joe mentioned you know Joseph in Potiphar's house was tempt was there was a real temptation there in front of him mm-hmm. to to do wrong with with Potiphar's wife and he avoided and ran away from the temptation and then he got put in jail you know and you're like well well this is a good reward for for doing what was right and I'm in jail well you know what happened though it's probably the best place for him to be and that was something that was mentioned this morning it's probably the best place for him to be because then he was away from the temptation and he wasn't in a place where, you know, it, it, things could have got worse again or could have been tempted again or could have been killed or whatever. I mean, it was probably, and, and I know God is sovereign and he was working through that whole situation. And that was exactly the next thing that needed to happen in Joseph's life. So we don't want to exclude mm-hmm. the sovereignty of God from it either. Um, but, you know, sometimes those things, they seem to go from bad to worse. So maybe the situation that's there is actually a better situation. You just don't maybe realize it at the particular moment. So, but yeah, I mean, there's those things that goes on there in our lives, and, and that is the thing. And here's, here's the deal. Uh, prayer does matter to God. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't teach us to pray. He wouldn't have taught his disciples here, and then, of course, us now as we read the Scripture to pray. It wouldn't be recorded twice. We go to mm-hmm. Luke chapter 11, the same basic mm-hmm. prayer is recorded there as well, um, if, it, if it wasn't important. And, and God is sovereign. We just mentioned that. God is sovereign. But God has chosen in this universe, in this thing, to, to use prayer within his sovereignty. And so it is very important for us to pray uh, for these things and pray through these things and pray for our needs and requests, you know, uh, because that is, it does have a role to play. You think, um, like, I mean, that has been our emphasis that one of the greatest blessings of prayer and maybe even a purpose of prayer is to align our our will with God's will for our lives, but mm-hmm. it does also change things mm-hmm. <clears throat> within yeah. the sovereignty of God. Right. I mean, we see that in scripture. You look at uh, Peter in prison. Well, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was a group of Christians praying in that house church that fetched that angel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, our prayers do impact yeah. within God's sovereignty. They do impact uh, world events and, and things like that. Yeah. I think there's a... <clears throat> Kind of a Southern Gospel-like song in there about unanswered prayers, and they're that's Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks. No, okay. No. <laughs> well, I mean, I think hey, I heard somewhere. I don't know. Well, listen, it all sounds the same to me, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't listen to Garth Brooks. I've just stuck my foot in my mouth. I'll keep going. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but anyway, it's. I think there's a. I think there's a. There's something there. But okay. But here we go. But praying not to be led in temptation. I think does some things for us too. So we, we, we pray this way, and those three reasons, why do we pray this way? Well, then here's some things that praying not to be led in temptation can, can do for us, okay? I think the, the biggest thing, first of all, is it actually gives us a strategy against sin, okay? So beginning with prayer, we're already starting out uh, with the best plan to avoid sin for that day. You know, we've acknowledged who God is, 
We've acknowledged who we are, dependence, and we can remember later on as well. And I want us to go to this verse again. We, we read it last week, I think maybe even the week before. Psalm 19, verse 13. Because David's prayer in Psalm 19, verse 13, actually is sort of an Old Testament parallel to Jesus' prayer of lead us not into temptation. So Psalm 19, 13, I'll have Pastor Jason read that. Give you a second to get there. And David prays here, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Mm -hmm. David, David is praying. The word presumptuous sins means this is a sin that I am going to plan to do. I want to do it. I'm tempted to do it, and I'm not going to try to not do it. Okay. All right. That's really what presumptuous has the idea of here. And so here, here David is saying, deliver me from evil, basically, and, mm. and, and lead me not into temptation and those things. He's really praying the same thing. So he's even beginning with this prayer as a strategy against sin in his own life. This is what, God, keep me from these presumptuous sins. Keep me from these things that I'm going to willfully and, and I'm going to plan and try to find a way to do and those kind of things. I mean, I've never in my life been able to, like maybe I've been battling a habitual sin. I've never taking part in that when I was praying mm -hmm. or praising God. Now, it might have happened after, mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's really difficult to sin, especially, you know, presumptuous sin when you are praying. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of a, a key thing here. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he, he said, prayer will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from prayer. Mm -hmm. And it does do that. It's yeah. the same with God's word. You could put that in there for prayer. But it is, it's a great strategy to begin with. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's other things that, that will, you know, that are good too. But it's a good first step and strategy there for avoiding sin that day. Uh, another reason here, or what, what prayer does for us in leading, not leading us to temptation, is it helps us to have strength to avoid poor contexts. Okay, or places where we know there might be more temptation. And, and, and so we're told in the Bible to avoid certain situations that can actually lead to sin. We're going to read these, I think, actually in, in um, book order. So let's go to Romans 13 and verse 14 first. Romans 13, 14. I put them backwards in my notes. It says 2 Timothy first. But, so if you want to... It's such a key uh, verse here. I'm glad you included it. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul says, but put on, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Yeah, and there we're, we're, we're told uh, what we're to do. Uh, so don't pray, God, deliver me from temptation, you know, or lead me not in temptation. And then you go to that place of temptation. Right. I mean, that, that would make no sense for you to pray that and then right. willingly do that. So it's saying, yeah, make no provision for the flesh. Mm -hmm. don't, don't even go where you know that this might be a catalyst for you to yield to temptation. Right. Right. Don't put yourself in situations mm -hmm. or places where that would be true. Uh, that would be the, the idea there. And we're commanded to do it because in, in our weakness as human beings, that's exactly what we do sometimes, you know. Um, and so we, we put ourselves in those situations even after praying for it that we don't, or even if we don't pray for it at all, we, we still put ourselves in those situations sometimes. Um, 2 Timothy 2.22 was the other one I wanted to read uh, in, in relation to this, this idea of avoiding uh, bad context or poor places to be. 
So 2 Timothy 2.22. It says, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Good. And so there the idea is that fleeing immorality, uh, but literally actually leave that place quickly. Flee, run away, get out of there. Like Joseph you know, did. Like Joseph. Yeah. Joseph fled. He ran away. You know, when, when nothing else uh, could, could uh, stop the temptation, he just ran away from the situation. So, you know, and that's the idea there again as well. You know, it may be that you have to like literally actually flee a place. And it may just be that, you know, you just need to make sure that you're not, you know, you're in a place where I'm going to put my phone aside. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make sure I'm around other people. I mean, whatever it is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But but giving us strength to avoid those poor it's contacts. kind of falls in it. We went through this along, I think, about a year ago here on Sunday nights, but something that we taught the teens and just a little acrostic that uh, called Anthem that John Piper came up with, but having victory over any sin, really, but definitely for ones of a sexual nature, which that those are the ones, in God's word, it says resist the devil and he will flee from you mm-hmm. for a lot of sins. It does. But anytime you get into sexual sin, we see things like Second Timothy 2.22, flee mm-hmm. youthful lust. And that's the pattern we have from Joseph. It tells mm-hmm. us to bug out. Don't even mess with it. And um, in, in that anthem acrostic, it, the first one is A, avoid, mm-hmm. which we already talked about tonight. That's the best thing to do. And then the N is say no. And you've got to say no in like the first few seconds that the temptation wells up or else battle's already lost. Mm-hmm. And then T is turn. It's turn uh, from the promise of whatever the temptation's saying, this will be good for you. This will make you feel better. You deserve this. Turn from that. And then H is hold. Hold on to the promise. You got to turn to the promise of God's word, that Jesus is better, that, right. that the promises of you obeying his word are better. And you hold on to that. And then the E is enjoy. Because right now, I mean, it might have only been 30 seconds, but so far you haven't given in to that temptation, which you had before. <laughs> so mm-hmm. celebrate God's, because it's also really hard to commit sin when you're praising God and celebrating God for that victory over that sin. And then mm-hmm. M is move, because there are some sins that are so strong, you might get to all of these steps in battling sin in your life. And um, sometimes you just need to move. Mm-hmm. You need to go do something else, get your mind on something else. And mm-hmm. um, I think that lines up with both Romans 13, 14, and, and what you're, you're bringing to our attention here in 2 Timothy 2.22. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like this quote, and, and remind me again who John Owen is. He's, he, well, he was a congregational, English congregational Puritan from, you know, Pilgrim days. Pilgrim days, yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> but he said this. Now, that's a really, really good quote, but it says, Let no man pretend to fear sin that does not fear temptation also. He does not truly hate the fruit who delights in the root. Mm. I thought that was really good. That kind of goes along with this second point as well. I've got that book in my office if any of you want it. (laughs) There you go. So that was a good quote, I think, that goes along with the second point as well of avoiding the context. All right, and then one more here, and that is it allows us to be ready when temptation Mm. comes. Go to 1 Peter 4.12. 1 Peter 4.12. As we're praying, again, the, the ultimate thing here is we're praying, lead us not into temptation. And the two are really connected. We're going to kind of get into how they're connected here in just a minute. But 1 Peter 4.12. This is, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Good. And I, the reason I like this verse so much is because it says strange twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like God is really emphasizing here. It's this not strange. This is not strange. strange. Right. Not strange. It's not yeah. strange. It's not strange that you're being tempted or that you're having a trial. 
and it's not strange that this is happening to you. Uh, you know, but it also helps us to be ready because we realize, you know what, this, this, is, this is the life that we're in right now. You know, um, there are these constant things that come at us every day, and our response to them, both trials and temptations, our response to them uh, can turn into sin um, very quickly. And so we have to have a defense ready at every moment. We have to be prepared uh, with that defense. And so prayer is that first step. And Jesus here teaching, pray, you know, lead us not into temptation, is that first step in, in winning the victory through Christ over the temptation that, that comes into our life. We do have a really good promise, and I don't want to leave this part of it before we go to the deliver us from evil part until we kind of talk about that. So if you'll go with me to 1 Corinthians 10.13, and you may recognize that um, address, so to speak, uh, in this verse, but 1 Corinthians 10.13, and we'll read that. God's word says, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Good. And so we do see those great things there. You know, God, God does not allow us to be tempted above what we're able. Uh, he makes a way for us to escape that. Uh, but here again is another important phrase in here that, that ties back to what we just read, I think, and that is common to man, mm. you know, common to man. And so trials in this life are common to man. You know, when, when, when something happens in your life and it's not the news that you wanted to hear or when temptation comes up in your life, it's common to man. A lot of the things that happen in our life are just happening to us because this world is cursed with sin mm. and, and it doesn't work the way that God intended it to work originally. It doesn't work the way that it worked in the garden when it was first created because sin is here. Uh, and so a lot of these things are common to man. And it's not strange that these things are happening as though some strange thing happened. And there's a way of escape. And there's a way of escape. And that's very important. You know, uh, there is that way of escape. And God makes that for us. And so praying, I think, opens up that door and helps us to realize that, helps us to see the way of escape, uh, and gives us that deliverance. And God God doesn't lead us into the temptation, and this is what I mean by that. He doesn't lead us into going all the way to sin. God allows us to be in the presence of things like this in our life for our strengthening, for our good, for our faith, um, and he gives us the strength to say no to sin in those moments of testing, um, but he doesn't lead us into actually committing the sin and doesn't put the temptation there. He's not the one doing the tempting. It's our flesh. It's the devil. It's things that are common to man. Uh, but we do have, again, this great promise in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And so we can really hold on to that verse uh, there for us when, when these times in our life come up. Any thoughts on that real quick before we go to deliver us from evil? I know when I, when I pray this, like when I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, and um, it, it is, I, I'm literally saying, God, please please help me to avoid temptation. It's not just a, a, you know, rote quote that I'm doing, lead me not into temptation. I'm saying, God, please help me to avoid places. And when it comes, because it, it will, because mm -hmm. um, it's common to man. Right. <laughs> but when it comes, Lord, help me have the right response. And, and so deliver me from, from evil, like we're about to get into there. Deliver me from yielding to that temptation. Right. Right. Deliver us from that. And so we'll look at that here. Deliver us from evil. 
And um, this, uh, depending upon, and some of you may have a modern uh, English version in front of you, uh, because sometimes in the modern English versions it says, deliver us from the evil one, or from the evil. Does anyone have one that says that? If you have a modern translation, maybe it might say that, it says the evil. So there, there is, in both sense, there is the idea of um, evil in general, but also specifically deliver us from the evil one, the devil, all right? And I, you know, I went back and forth. I went and I looked at different commentaries and different people, and they're all like, well, this is evil, and this is the evil one, and said, you know what? I think it works both ways, really, because we're asking God to deliver us from this uh, evil. From, from sin, sin, and, and where does sin come from, ultimately? Who brought sin into this world? Who tempted Adam and Eve? Satan, so, right. I mean, it's the same thing. Same thing, yeah. yeah. So we're delivering it from that, for sure. Um, and so we're talking about that, you know, and deliver us from the devil, deliver us from evil, deliver us from Satan. Uh, and so, uh, but it's definitely, definitely still true. And this is a prayer that Jesus prayed as well uh, for us uh, that ties in also in this, uh, to what we're talking about tonight as well. So go to John chapter 17. And I'm giving you a lot of verses tonight. Um, just a little moment of transparency. This is probably the hardest two phrases, I think, that we... <laughs> Um, John 17 and verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And there it does say that even in the King James, the evil. And I think the same thing is true there as well. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer Mm -hmm. right before he goes to the cross. Probably one of the larger sections of the content of his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying for not just his disciples, but he's praying for every Mm -hmm. disciple, including us here. And he says there, um, I'm not praying you should take them out of the world, but I'm praying that you will keep them from the evil one in the world. Right. Along that same line, I've heard sometimes people say, you know, the, the model prayer is what you find in Matthew chapter 6, and mm. the Lord's prayer is what you find in John 17. Really? Yeah, but, I mean, that's what this I mean, is here. We, we gonna, could go on another four weeks on this right, one. We could, <laughs> yeah. And I don't think anyone's going to say, hey, you should, you should stop calling Matthew chapter 6 the Lord's prayer. But anyway, but there, the, Jesus is praying the same thing there for us. You know, uh, understanding, of course, what it is, who it is that, that we're facing, who it is that's there, uh, and that we'd be kept mm. from that. Um, that God would deliver us from that. Because as First Peter, let's go there, First Peter 5, 8. Go over there. Jesus had prayed this prayer for us, knowing that we would face these things uh, in our lives and knowing that the devil would, would want to um, pull us away from the word, want to pull us away from following him. Uh, you know, that things would be in our lives that would cause us to stop following Christ. And so praying for us there in the garden that, that we would be kept from the evil one. And here's the reason why, 1 Peter 5.8. And when it says, hold on, I'm in the wrong place. Turn the page. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Good. And so we're told here that that's the whole purpose. That's what's going on. That's what, that's what is happening. Okay. The devil does not want you to serve God. Mm. And so things, I, you know, we see in the book of Job that in the sovereign will of God, things are allowed to come into our lives that, that, that are from that particular situation from the devil. And so, you know, we understand that that's a, that's a reality, and that's what he's doing. He's seeking about who he can devour, who he can get off track, who he can keep from serving God. Um, and he's described as a roaring lion. 
And Jesus prayed that we would be kept uh, from, from the devil as well. But here's something that we need to remember about that, okay? He's a created being. And I put that in all uppercase letters on my notes because I wanted to make sure we emphasize that. He's a created being, okay? That's a very important thing to remember, all right? It's not something to mess around with. It's not something to play with or whatever. But he's not equal to God, okay? He's not equal to God. He's created by God, okay? He's, he's not, you know, like Eastern religion says, he's, he's the dark to God's light, you know, like some kind of weirdo balance thing. That's, that's Eastern philosophy. That's not true. It's not real, Okay? Uh, God is all-sufficient. We said that at the very beginning of the whole study when we talked about our Father which art in heaven. God is all-sufficient. That means he needs no one or no thing in order to continue existing, including a dark side as in Eastern philosophy and Eastern religion says, well, they have to balance, you know, whatever. It's not true. He's a created being. So there is the idea that we can resist the devil. There is the idea there that Jesus is praying. There's the idea of us being aware as good soldiers of what's going on, being aware of what the devil is doing, and praying uh, so that we are kept and delivered from that. And we can overcome that through Christ. Let's go to James 4, verse 7. James 4, verse 7, because we're closer there if we're still in Peter. James 4, verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And this is a verse you quoted earlier. earlier, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's the idea there. Again, but look what it says. You know, submit yourselves to God. Okay, resist the devil, and that comes from I think a lot of prayer that we have first in our lives that we're praying that God would do these things and giving us the strength for it. Let's go to Ephesians six eleven. Ephesians six eleven. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Good. And then the, the rest of Ephesians 6, of course, describes those pieces of armor there that we are to put on uh, and, and, and through that. And so, but that's the idea there again, being ready, having that armor uh, and, and knowing again here the wiles of the devil, that he's out there seeking who he can destroy and that he's using... Prayers actually mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we did the armor of God, it was kind mm-hmm. of that final piece of armor. We included it. Sometimes it's not included. Yep. Um, and we a lot of times we'll end with the sword of uh, the spirit, mm-hmm. word of God. But verse 18 says praying. It, it's not a new thought. It's it's praying. It's a Jaron that's talking about what we're to do. Continue to put the armor on. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Right. So this is a way to battle temptation mm-hmm. by right. praying. By praying, right. By praying. Um, and, and understanding, too, there with that word, the wiles, and we're going to talk about this again in just a moment, but, you know, the way, that, the way that Satan got Eve was to twist the words of God and make her question mm-hmm. the word of God. That's how we came to you Jesus, know. too, right. by twisting God's word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, prayer and, and being ready in the word of God. And we'll see that in just a minute. But, but God gives us prayers that way to avoid us. And so it's deliverance from that wrong response. It's deliverance from that improper response to uh, what's going on in our life. So ways that God delivers us as we kind of pull it to a close here. Um, prayer, obviously, one of the ways that God delivers us for me. We're talking about that all throughout this evening. Um, and Jesus taught his disciples that as well. Let's go back to the book of Matthew, verse, uh, or chapter 26, verse 41. Matthew 26, 41. This is when Jesus was praying in the garden. We, we read uh, one of the verses of the prayer that he prayed. Uh, 
in John, but this is when he was praying in the garden. Matthew 26 and verse 41. Jesus said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right. And so there we have watch and pray. Could you not watch with me one hour? Jesus asked them in verse 40. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation there. And the wrong response to the situation the disciples found them in. Uh, later on, you know, we see Peter cutting off the ear of one of the servants. Mm, denying, denying Christ. Denying Christ eventually. later on that evening. You know, so again, there's temptations to react wrongly in situations that we're in, in, in correct response to the trials we're going through. But pray so that you do not enter into temptation. The reason that prayer is one of these tools that God tells us to use to battle temptation is because it's one of his means of grace in our, in our lives. Um, he gives us, I, I just, there's not a better term than that, means of grace, uh, sustaining mm-hmm. grace. We're, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. But then for the Christian, we have these, these things he gives us. Prayer is, is one of them. That's what he's emphasizing here. Um, there, there are ways that we express that faith. We know it's faith alone that saves us. But how is that faith expressed? Well, in prayer, and it helps us battle sin. And you're going to talk about some other ones here, but there's other means of grace are, are studying the Bible, like we're mm-hmm. doing here tonight. This mm-hmm. is a way to overcome temptation, uh, doing it individually at, by ourselves daily. Um, even the ordinances, baptism, communion, those are two powerful pictures of the gospel mm-hmm. that are a means of grace. This right here, you joining together, assembling together as brothers and sisters, and not just on Sunday or Wednesday, but even throughout the week and lifting each other up, encouraging each other and mm-hmm. serving the Lord. Those, yeah. These are all different means of grace that he it gives us the sustaining grace to live in victory. Uh, and they express our faith. And that's what God tells us in 1 John 5, 4. That uh, whoever is, is born of the Spirit mm-hmm. has, has victory mm-hmm. over sin. And, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Our faith. Mm-hmm. Faith is the victory. We sing it. <laughs> faith is our victory that overcomes the world. We can mm-hmm. overcome temptation. We can overcome sin by faith. Now that faith is expressed in, in prayer and studying God's word and, and celebrating the ordinances and not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together mm-hmm. and in service. Right. Right. And that's the, that's the verse there for, for the God's word given to us. Psalm 91, 4. Uh, if we'll go over there real quick. Just a few more verses. Psalm 91.4, that teaches us this, that God's word has been given us for that reason, deliverance. Psalm 91, verse 4. So he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust, and his truth shall be his shield and buckler. Yeah, his truth. It's kind of like the song choir sang today. Yeah, like the song choir sang today, exactly. Cover me. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing. And that, that ending verse there, uh, or the ending part of the verse there, truth shall be that shield and buckler, that, that ties over to John 17, 17. I'll just talk about that quickly here. But John 17, 17, that says, Jesus is praying again, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. So we're sanctified in the truth of God's word, but the truth is what protects us, knowing the truth and knowing God's word. Because how was it that Jesus defeated the temptation in the wilderness? What did he do? Use scripture. He used scripture, and he used it the right way. Okay, uh, Satan came at him and tried to twist the words, and Jesus said, "No, nope, this is what this is what the Bible says. This is what the word says." Deuteronomy the every time, actually. Yeah, yeah, the truth <laughs> of God's word. 
So, um, and you mentioned many of the ways as well that we're delivered from evil, but God does give those ways. And, and, and we're told that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there is a way of deliverance. We've seen some of the ways of deliverance tonight, and there are others as well. I think it's important that in these, as we kind of close here, these, these trials and temptations are in our lives for good, but it's not God that does the tempting, okay? We're, we're led through things in our life. He, he's, he's, he orders every step that we take that's in the, in the Psalms. Um, and we're to pray that God gives us the strength to choose the correct response in those temptations. So Jesus is teaching us to pray that we would respond correctly to the things that come in our lives. And it's that incorrect response, whether we yield to the temptation or the way we handle things, that becomes trials. And so ultimately, here's the end of it. I think God's glory is at stake mm-hmm. for the believer. And so recognizing our dependence on God for our needs and then recognizing our dependence on God uh, for our trials. That this, this is what it does. It focuses us back to that. It says, hey, you know what? I, yes, I need my daily bread spiritually, physically, and, and I need forgiveness. And I need to be forgiven to others. But, but I need to depend on God for deliverance from these things that are going on in my life. Uh, right now. And I, I think we'll just read this one last verse. I don't know if you've turned yeah, there or not, but Job 13, 15, one, one last verse. That we'll just Great close testimony up. for someone who went through a couple trials, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Job 13, 15, Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Mm-hmm. And I will maintain mine own ways before him. Yeah. And it, that's, a, that's a difficult verse to read there because, you know, I mean, we're we're led into these things. Though he slay me, though he bring all these things that Job is saying, all these things, I'm still going to trust in him. I'm still going to put him first. I'm still going to follow him. I'm still going to keep him first, even in the midst of all these things that are going on around me in my life. And that is the maturing humility. Mm-hmm. That is the faith in Jesus Christ that I think God wants to bring us to through our prayer. Any comments or questions or Things got brought to your mind as we were studying this. Got one more we're going to finish up with. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And amens are important. We'll mm-hmm. look at that too. It's not just the, the prayer's over. You can open your eyes and get to eating or whatever else. There's a point there that we, God teaches us to pray. Amen. And so we'll look at that next week.